Good morning. Glad you're here. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you for gathering us together this day. Oh, Father, if we know our hearts at all, we're thankful to be here. Father, our desire is that we might make much of Christ, that we might exalt your Son, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, Father, we're gathered together, living stones, assembled together into a little temple for your glory. Oh, fill us with your Spirit. Give us what we need. Exalt your Son this day, for we do pray in His name. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen. Now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13 We have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.14 By His own blood He entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 9.12 Well, brothers and sisters, Lord willing, very shortly we'll remember our Savior's death together as we fulfill His Word and figuratively eat His flesh and drink His blood. You know that in what the great Apostle Paul calls the communion of the blood of Christ and the communion of the body of Christ, this is in 1 Corinthians 10.16, when we drink the wine and ingest the bread of the Lord's Supper, We're eating, as it were, the Passover feast of the New Covenant. The Passover was celebrated periodically, repetitively, once every year. And we know from Holy Scripture that the purpose of every Passover after that first one, the purpose of every Passover after that first one was remembrance. It was remembrance. The first Passover, listen, the first Passover was celebrated right before the deliverance. Right before the Exodus. But all the subsequent Passovers were celebrated after the Exodus. After the deliverance. As a remembrance of the deliverance. The Hebrews of the Old Covenant are in the Old Covenant were commanded, quote, You shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you be come back to the land which Jehovah will give you according to what, as he has promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass that when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That you shall say, 
It is the sacrifice of Jehovah's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshiped. Exodus 12, 24 through 27. So the old covenant Passover feast was a feast of remembrance to remind the people of God of the mighty Exodus, to remind them of the deliverance of God, to remind them that Yahweh saves. Now, do you know when the holy ordinance that we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion was inaugurated? Well, according to the Gospels, in obedience to the old covenant command of the Almighty, Jesus was eating the Passover meal in an upper room with his disciples. And after they finished that ritual meal of barbecued lamb and bitter herbs eaten, standing up, after they finished that, the evangelist Matthew records Jesus took bread. What kind of bread? Well, the bread that was there. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. St. Paul gives us a more thorough account of the words of Jesus. Listen, he writes, The Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is My body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. So listen. When was the Lord's Supper inaugurated? Well, the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before His bloodshedding, just before the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, just before the Exodus, just before the deliverance, just before the Nazarene lived up to His name, Yahweh saves Jesus. You know that Jesus means Yahweh saves, don't you? The apostolic writer to the Hebrews conclusively teaches that the Old Covenant, listen, is complete. It is fulfilled. And Jesus, as, as Jesus our Savior declared on His cross, it is finished. 
Now, some have disparagingly accused Christians who believe, as I believe, of embracing, quote, replacement theology. And to this, I must plead guilty. I believe that the old covenant is fulfilled, finished, complete. And that it has been replaced by something else, something new, by a new covenant, a covenant inaugurated just before the Exodus, just before the deliverance, just before the bloodletting. Do you recall? That when Jesus celebrated that first Lord's Supper with his beloved disciples, the scriptures record that when he gave them the wine to drink, he said, This is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26 28. Listen, in inaugurating the new He was completing the old. In inaugurating the new, to use the metaphor of the author to the Hebrews, of the epistle to the Hebrews, to use his metaphor, the substance was replacing the shadow because the light had arrived and the darkness could not overcome it. And the darkness was being dethroned and displaced. The old covenant was being finished. And a new covenant was being inaugurated. A new covenant which replaced the old one. Listen, a new feast of remembrance. The Lord's Supper was being inaugurated. A new feast which replaced the Passover. The new has come. The old is now eclipsed. Complete. Obsolete. Listen, understand Christian, Jesus of Nazareth is our Passover. He is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we eat His flesh and we drink His blood, the blood of the sinless Lamb, the Lamb for sinners slain. So listen, in anticipation of our remembrance in a few minutes, I want to remind you about the new covenant that we celebrate. A covenant which, like the old one, was inaugurated in blood. But unlike the old, not not the blood of a lamb from the Judean hills, but with the blood of a lamb come down from heaven. The Lamb of God. A Lamb who is also called the Son of God. A new covenant, listen, inaugurated in divine blood. 
the blood of him whom we affirm with Chalcedon is the blood of man and the blood of God. Some infidels have impiously referred to Christianity as a slaughterhouse religion. We talk a lot about blood, my friend. They mock our faith, which declares without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Hebrews 9.22 Well, beloved, listen, I concede that the mind of the 21st century man has a hard time with the ways of God. But, the fact is, Christianity teaches that we are saved by a blood sacrifice. By a life taking. By a blood letting. When we drink the red wine of communion, we symbolically drink the blood of our crucified God. Bill, listen, I thought if there was one thing maybe we should change about our communion, it would be to buy really, really expensive, really, really good wine. That might be a better symbol for the precious, precious blood of the Lamb. In Proverbs 20, verse 30, the wise man of Holy Scripture writes, The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. So do stripes, the inward parts of the belly. That's the King James Version. The New American Standard Version translates it, Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Please open your Bibles to the prophecy of Isaiah. Chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah is the Old Covenant prophet most quoted by the writers of the New Covenant Scriptures. In Eric 7, 7 is the number of completion. And Isaiah 53 is quoted seven times in the New Testament. Arguably eight. So... If it's eight, well, eight's the number of new beginnings. I'm okay with that too. In any case, Isaiah 53 had to be one of those scriptures that Jesus exposited on the road to Emmaus. And in the minds of the New Covenant writers, Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. The prophet cries, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of Jehovah revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men." 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Well, friend, a sacred head was wounded. The torture and crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior, was a bloodbath. It was horrific. My saints, listen. Surely the rusty nails that pierced his hands and feet drew blood. Surely they did. But the oxidized iron, the rust, And the filling of the puncture wounds by those nails probably minimized the blood that flowed from his pierced hands and feet. Probably. Probably much, much more blood was shed by the Roman scourging, which was a torture designed to inflict pain and shed blood and mark the victim with permanent scars. 
Somebody's coming in the door there. The permanent scars of a Roman scourging have historically been referred to, listen, as stripes. Because in the aftermath of a scourging, the healed victim bore scars like stripes down his or her back. A permanent disfigurement which commemorated the torture and the bloodletting. Classically, the stripes were created by whipping the bare backs of prisoners whose hands and feet had been bound, rendering them helpless before their tormentors. The whips that the Romans used were made of braided leather, and they usually had pottery shards or bone shards or iron balls or sharp stones attached to the ends of the cords. The Roman whip was called in Latin a flagrum, and a flagellum if small. And the scourging practice of the Romans was called flagellation. According to my encyclopedia, the Romans reserved flagellation for non-citizens. As stated in the Lex Porcia and Lex Sempronia dating back to 195 and 123 B.C. By process, in capital cases, flagellation preceded crucifixion. And typically, the one to be so scourged was stripped naked and bound to a low pillar so that he could bend over it, or he would be chained to an upright pillar so he could be stretched out, or between two. And generally, two soldiers, or lictors, a Roman officer, Two, though some histories report scourgings with four to six lictors, but generally two alternated blows from the bare shoulders down the body to the soles of the feet. And, and listen, unlike the Jewish law, which forbade more than 40 lashes, under Roman law there was no limit. To the number of blows inflicted. That was left up to the soldiers or to the lictors, though they were normally not supposed to kill the victim. This was just to be a torture. But according to the historians Livy, Suetonius, and Josephus, they all report cases of flagellations where the victims died while still bound to the posts. So that was a failure. You're supposed to almost kill them. Flagellation was referred to as half death by some authors because many victims died shortly after such scourging. Cicero reports in In Verum, Pro mortem sublatus brevi postia mortuus, meaning taken away for a dead man. Shortly thereafter, dead. So listen, 
The purpose of the sharp objects at the end of the whip cords was to break the flesh, releasing the victim's blood and creating the scars, the stripes. That was the whole point. The braided leather handle of the whip ended in multiple whip cords, so every cruel stroke of the whip resulted in multiple lacerations, multiple stripes. After the fiasco where the politician Pontius Pilate sided with his constituents rather than with the truth, St. Matthew records this, listen. Then released he, that is Pontius Pilate, then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns... They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe from off him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Matthew 27, 26 through 31. St. Mark, Mark's record is similar. Listen. So Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and spit upon him, bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Mark 15, verses 15 through 20. Beloved, this was horrific. I'm not opposed to spanking. And in the case of criminals, I don't think I'd even oppose flogging or caning or beating. But the flagellation was different. It was either torture as a prelude to execution, or else it was specifically designed to inflict permanent scars. And the victim here was not a criminal. The victim was God, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Beloved, what in the world was happening here? What was happening on the face of the earth there in Sodom, Egypt, Jerusalem? Man assaulting God? Man punishing God? Man attacking God? Man shedding the blood of God? 
Beloved, listen. What happened to Jesus was no surprise to Him. Like Isaiah before Him, He had prophesied it. Jesus Himself had prophesied it. Immediately prior to their walk to Jerusalem, Dr. Luke records, Then He took unto Him the twelve. And He said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For He shall be delivered to the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted upon. And they shall scourge Him, and put Him to death. And the third day He shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. Wow. No surprise to Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Do you understand Gethsemane a little better? He knew. He knew exactly what was going on. In the fourth gospel, John the Beloved records, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. We read over that so quickly. It's a Roman process. You don't come out of it in a good state. They were professionals. The soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. John 19, 1 through 5. Now, beloved, listen, I don't want to be morbid, but I do want you to understand that our Savior suffered dreadfully for us. And the aftermath of the Savior's scourging must have been sickening. I'm telling you, if you were there, you would have been nauseated. The prophetic record in Isaiah testifies of the horrific violence that our Savior endured at the hands of sinful man. The prophet writes, Many were horrified by the sight of you. He was so disfigured he no longer looked like a man. His form was so marred that he no longer looked human. Isaiah 52, 14. That's the net Bible. Scourging, bloodletting, sacrifice, suffering. Remember, saints, his blood was shed and a new covenant was inaugurated. Paul was scourged by the Jews five times. The Jewish law forbade more than 40 lashes. So the common practice was to give 39, you know, 40 minus 1. 
We can't give any more than 40, so we're not even going to give 40. Oh, we're generous. Only 39. We're good guys, you know. So, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, the great apostle writes, Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. 40 minus one. He was beaten with rods three times. Paul was. Beating with rods was another Roman method of punishment, and it sometimes resulted in death. I mean, you can imagine, right? So in the next verse, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, he writes, Thrice I was beaten with rods. And in addition to scourgings and beatings, Paul was stoned. So in the same verse, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, he writes, Once I was stoned. And Brother Bill preached to us about this recently. But Paul's stoning was by angry Jews who came to Lystra from Antioch and Iconium. And these were men who opposed the way of Jesus. And in Acts 14, verses 19 through 20, we read, Then came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, having stoned Paul. And they drew him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Beloved, listen, through it all, (laughs) and I just mentioned scourgings and beatings and stoning, through it, but, but listen, but in addition to that, Paul was threatened, persecuted, imprisoned, shipwrecked, abandoned, maligned, Falsely accused repeatedly. And what was his attitude about all this suffering? But what was Paul's attitude? Well, it was pretty Christ-like. Pretty Christ-like. He wrote, We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Romans 5, 3 through 5. He wrote, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He wrote, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Now, this is tough. Listen, saints. And hear an exhortation from Brother Paul. It's not from me. Well, I'll repeat it. It's from him. I beseech you, be ye followers of me. First Corinthians four sixteen. Follow you in what, Paul? Well, in faith, 
What else? In fearlessness. I don't care what you do to me. You can't do anything that by God hasn't ordained. And whatever you do, He'll work it together for good. And what has the mighty Peter to say about this? He writes, This is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, you know, like Jesus... What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even to hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps." who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who bear, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being Dead to sin should live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but now you are returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. 1 Peter 2, verses 19 through 25. (laughs) Not health or wealth. Flagellation, a bloody cross, and an exhortation, an exhortation from God the Son. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels and shall reward every man according to his works. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Beloved, listen, do you understand? Do you understand that even after it all, even after everything, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, coronation, enthronement, session, even after all that, our Savior still bears scars, nail scars in His hands and in His feet, a spear scar in his side and stripes upon his back. Healing stripes upon his back. 
So Christians, behold your sin-scarred God. Whipped and wounded for our failures. Bruised and bloodied for our transgressions. Scorned and scarred, striped for our sins. Behold your sin-scarred God. With His stripes, we are healed. Beloved, it's, it's strange. It's strange, but Lord willing, soon we're going to eat the Lord's Supper together. With joy, we're going to celebrate our redemption, our salvation from the dominion and penalty of sin. And in that joyful celebration, we're going to eat bread and drink wine and remember with horrific revulsion a horrible killing, a torture, a bloodletting, the scourging and crucifixion of the Prince of Glory. An excruciating death that marked the end of something old and the beginning of something new. A new covenant inaugurated in blood, precious blood from the stripes of Jesus. Blessed are the sufferers who partake of pain and shame for Jesus' sake. Their souls shall triumph in the Lord. Glory and joy are their reward. Jesus invites His saints to meet around His board. Here pardoned rebels sit and hold communion with their Lord. For food He gives His flesh. He bids us drink His blood. Amazing favor, matchless grace from our descending God. This holy bread and wine maintains our fainting breath by union with our loving Lord and interest in His death. Our Heavenly Father calls Christ and His members one. We the young children of His love and He the firstborn Son. We are but several parts of the same broken bread. Our body hath its several limbs, but Jesus is the head. Let all our powers be joined, His glorious name to raise. Pleasure and love fill every mind, and every voice be praise. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, before Thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin. 
My iniquity caused thee to be made a curse. The evil that excites, excites the severity of divine wrath. Oh, show me the enormity of my guilt by thy crown of thorns, thy pierced hands and feet, thy scourged, bloody, bruised body, thy dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God. Its worth is infinite. Its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating in my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, the chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply breath, the earth bear my tread, its fruits nourish me, its creatures subserve my ends. Ah, yet thy compassions yearn over me. Thy heart hastens to my rescue. Thy love endured my curse. Thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Oh, let me walk humbly before you in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of thy mighty salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.